The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran while my mother stayed strong to my face writes dr brooke goldner in goodbye lupus i can still remember her crying behind the bedroom door at night I will never forget the sight of my grandmother on her knees, wailing up at the ceiling, asking God to take her instead of me. Our guest after the break will be Dr. Brooke Goldner with her very happy ending. But I wanted to start with that quotation because sometimes I'll hear from a fellow vegan, oh, I don't care about the health part. This is about trying to relieve suffering. Yes, it is. And I would say that that's suffering across the board. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Show. I am absolutely tickled pink that you are spending this hour with us today. If you're new to Main Street Vegan, check us out at MainStreetVegan.net. We've got a blog. We've got information about Main Street Vegan Academy, where you can come to New York City for a week, get yourself officially certified as a vegan lifestyle coach, go out and change the world. Now, one of those people who came to New York for the Main Street Vegan Academy training was already quite a lofty vegan in his own right, and he just happens to be our first segment guest today. And this is Greg Lawson, vegetarian for 40 years, vegan for the last 20. Greg is a newly retired National Park Service Ranger. He's also vice president of the Veg Society of El Paso and host of ACT Radio, Animal Concerns of Texas on KTEP-FM, National Public Radio for the Southwest for the past 16 years. Welcome, Greg Lawson. Hello, Victoria. Good to talk to you again. Hey, Greg. I just almost called you Ranger Greg. I guess that still counts, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's in my blood. Yeah, once a ranger, always a ranger. Well, you did the most amazing presentation for the Main Street Vegan Academy Masterclass this summer that you called Why Wildlife Should Matter to Vegans. And then I really wanted to have you on the show addressing all of the listeners who who are vegan or who are veg curious and who really care about this planet and those with whom we share it. So big question first, why should wildlife matter to vegans? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, Well, I went vegan for uh, animal reasons 
And as I advanced in my park service career, it naturally followed that uh, environmental reasons became important. But when people think about the environment, uh, they think about forestation, climate change. Um, they, they don't think about what it does to wildlife to have animal agriculture, uh, which is animal agriculture is driving climate change, which is one of the big factors leading to extinction of species. And uh, animal agriculture also leads to to deforestation, to make forests into pastures for uh, livestock and to, to grow livestock feed. So uh, we've lost so many species um, in the last 50 years. Some species have suffered more than others. Uh, for example, bison uh, were once 60 to 80 million uh, strong on the Western Plains, and now they're down to a few thousand. Uh, prairie dogs have been reduced to 2% of the land they once inhabited. So it's, it's a, and, and people don't understand the uh, interconnectedness of all life. Uh, we, we all form a pattern, and we need each strand of this web of life to, to have it maintained and, and to strive. So, Greg, talk to us a little bit about extinction. I think in the general world, you get a lot of people uh, concerned about extinction. Extinction of species means something to people, even though they might eat meat or take their kids to SeaWorld or whatever it is. And yet I think yeah. within the vegan world, we see animals more as individuals. And so I think it's a little bit harder for us to, to grok what it means when a species leaves this planet. Can you help with that? Well, uh, because we're all interconnected, it has a profound impact on uh, all kinds of other species. Uh, let me give you two quick examples. One, uh, the prairie dogs are uh, found uh, along with a number of other species that depend on prairie dog burrows uh, as their homes and, and on prairie dogs as their food. The black-footed ferret, snakes, burrowing owls, and badgers, all those, uh, prairie dog burrows. And when the prairie dogs are wiped out, there go a, a whole handful of other species along with them. Wolves were uh, almost completely wiped out in the late uh, 1800s. But when we reintroduced wolves in Yellowstone National Park, we discovered that a lot of other species flourished. Um, animals, scavengers that once depended on elks that died during the winter, were now dining on wolf kills. Uh, magpies and uh, ravens, bears, even beetles. And even trees were affected by the reintroduction of wolves. So uh, to lose a species, uh, like, you know, if we'd lost the prairie grouse or something, people say, oh, well, we didn't need a prairie grouse. But they don't think about all the other species that are related and form a pattern with that one animal. 
I see. We have had Dr. Silas Rao on the program, uh, and he is a systems engineer. His organization, um, climatehealers.org, is putting on a conference at the end of October in Mesa, Arizona, called Vegan World 2026, based in part on a prediction by some biologists that all wildlife could be extinct by 2026. That's, I, I just, I can't even get my head around that. What is it that is, is moving this wave of extinction so rapidly? Well, um, that, that particular idea came from uh, the World Wildlife Fund report that uh, plotted the fact that we've lost 50% of wild animals in the last 40 years. And if that, um, if that rate, if that curve continued at the same rate, it, we've got eight years left. And then wild vertebrates would be uh, extinct. Um, I, I tend to be a little bit more hopeful. I think they'll be greatly reduced in numbers but there might be a recovery, especially if we start taking action now on such problems as climate change, which is driving a lot of the extinction. Also, we need to switch to a vegan diet uh, to, to help save all animals. So being a vegan and being in the park service, I, I think you're the only national park ranger vegan I've ever heard of. Maybe you're not the only one, but certainly you were a minority. So what was that like for all these decades of service? Well, it, it was sad because the bison being the symbol of the National Park Service, and we had images of uh, bison on our badges. Uh, and to, to understand that the other rangers were just doing a job and they really didn't have you know, the kind of passion that I had as a vegan for uh, wild animals, uh, it, it was disheartening at times. Most of them didn't even know that park rangers were killing bison in Yellowstone Park to protect the profits of the cattle industry. So, yeah, it was frustrating. But there was one other vegan at my park, and I imagine there are other vegan park rangers that are scattered around the country. We are... Uh, uh, maybe a little bit more numerous in the park service than in the general population because, well, you know, our mission is wildlife and wildlands preservation. So yeah. maybe there's a few more. Oh, that's good to know. Now, when you said there are park rangers killing bison in Yellowstone, I'm sure that some people hearing that thought that you meant there are these rogue rangers who are off killing bison, but you mean something that's actually legally sanctioned and routinely practiced, correct? Yes. Um, uh, during the ninth, well, during the the whole time I was a ranger for 31 years, about 11,000 bison were killed at Yellowstone, uh, and up until the year 2000, they were killed by uh, the Department of Livestock of Montana, which is a, a cattle rancher's organization. But uh, Montana sued the federal government in the year 2000 and put the duty of killing excess bison on uh, the National Park Service. 
So uh, whenever the herd size at Yellowstone gets beyond 3,000 animals, which is an arbitrary cap, that is usually at around 4,000, the Park Service is required to eliminate those excess bison because the bison wander around outside the park eating the grass that the cattle ranchers want. So uh, every year the Park Service rounds up hundreds of bison and trucks them to slaughterhouses. Wow. It's very shameful. It it is indeed. So I'm I'm beginning to see in this way that, that animal agriculture has something to do with wildlife as, as well as the abuse of farm animals because animals are actually grazing on the public lands, private animals owned by ranchers, correct? Right. Uh, well, uh, public lands and, of course, private lands. But when they're on public lands, then the ranchers can uh, turn to the federal government for assistance. And there's an agency uh, under the Department of Agriculture known as Wildlife Services, and they kill a couple of million animals, wild animals, a year to protect uh, the profits of cattle ranchers, coyotes, even endangered species like wolves and bears. And they kill uh, about a million birds every year. And and that seems strange. Why would they be killing birds? Because birds yeah. birds occasionally swoop down and feed at uh, fish farm operations. They also uh, fly down and, and eat the, the grain out of the troughs at confined animal feeding operations. And, uh, that, of course, they eat some of the, the corn that's growing in the fields that's meant to feed livestock. So millions of birds are killed every year by the U.S. government, Department of Agriculture. Wow, I think that is something that most of us didn't know until just now, even those of us who are vegan. So you you came into veganism after you were a park ranger. Can you tell us a little bit right. about that? Yeah, uh, well, uh, I was a vegetarian for about four or five years before I was hired by the National Park Service. And then while I was... Uh, it, 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 Partially, it was the bison issue that drove me to vegan, but it was a combination of other things, too. I, I got interested in the uh, Veg Society of El Paso and joined the board of directors, and the other board members were vegan. And I was just beginning to learn how badly chickens and dairy cows were treated, uh, and so that's what made the switch from vegetarian to vegan. And Texas, you know, most people don't think you show up in El Paso and become vegan. So how, how did that happen? What's going on there in Texas? Well, or you're part of got, Texas. I know it's a country in itself. Yeah, we've got one of the strongest vegetarian societies in the country, I've been told. Uh, at least in the West, we have uh, about three events a year, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a month. Uh, dinners with speakers and cooking classes and potlucks and restaurant visits. Um, and we've had so many great people as our guest speakers, uh, including you. We'd like to have you back, too. I want so, to come back. I want uh, to come back with a movie. <laughs> a prayer for compassion. 
Right. Um, also, it, things are growing fast in Texas. Uh, a year ago, we had some vegan-friendly restaurants uh, that had a few vegan options on the menu. But now, uh, this year, we have three fully vegan restaurants. So, That's... you know, things are pro- progressing pretty quickly. And, and well, that... Texas as a whole is, yeah. is, uh, is growing fast, too. Uh, we've got a number of radio shows besides the one I do. Uh, and then there's uh, the University of North Texas, uh, about 40 miles north of Dallas, uh, a few years ago, opened a fully vegan dining hall for their students. And then uh, I, I know you know about Marshall, Texas, the town that went vegan because you had the mayor on your show. Uh, so, you know, things are going great. Uh, Boston and Dallas often make uh, the PETA list of uh, the most vegan cities in the country. Wow, that's that's so cool. Texas is a good place for vegans. There's still a lot of barbecues and cowboy hats, but, you know, there's a lot of Well, you know, you can can wear a cowboy hat and and eat barbecued tofu. (laughs) So it all works. So tell us a little bit about your radio show, then I I want um, to ask you something else about wildlife. Okay. Uh, ACT Radio, Animal Concerns in Texas, has been on the air for uh, 16 years. And I have a couple of co-hosts. One is uh, Liz, who's a professor of biology and a vegan at the University of Texas. Uh, And my other co-host is Tom Lenny, who's a lawyer with the Animal Legal Defense Fund. And so we have a usually phone-in guests on the show, and uh, it's it's a twice-a-month, half-hour show on National Public Radio for the Southwest. And I've really enjoyed doing it. That is so cool, and that it's lasted so long, and that you had this idea 16 years ago, and, and that you were able to convince the PBS people. What if somebody wanted to do that in their own area? How would they go about that? Uh, they should approach the station, whether it's National Public Radio or, or not, and uh, just toss the idea to the uh, station manager. Uh, say, I've got an idea for a program, uh, either live call-in or tape in advance, which is what I prefer that we that we do it ourselves. Um, and just just uh, say, give me a chance, let's do a pilot show and see how it goes. And and that leads me to a, a quick story, if I've got time, about how we started. Uh, we told them, uh, the station manager we wanted to do a show, was, uh, Steve Best, who's a uh, an animal rights author and a professor of philosophy at University of Texas. We tossed them the idea of doing a, a, a radio show, and they were a little wary, but they gave us a pilot, and we had a local doctor who's a vegan on the show. And they said, okay, that was great. Let's uh, continue the show. And for the next show, we had uh, Wayne Paselli, who was head of the uh, Humane Society of the United States, and we talked about uh, chicken fights, 
cockfights, which were still legal in New Mexico. And so after that, the radio station started saying, the opinions expressed on this show are those of the... (laughs) (laughs) Made us so proud. Yeah, well, I'm sure it did. That's a great story. And, And I think it's very interesting. Maybe I'm naive, but I don't really understand why this has to be so scary. You know, we all talk about wanting peace on earth and everybody to be happy. And if anybody sees an animal in trouble out on the street, you know, everybody just flops around to try to help this animal. This is how we're made. And yet when we get out in these bigger arenas, when we're thinking about food choices and that kind of thing, it all seems to get really difficult. Yeah, uh, you mean the, the habit of our, our, our food habits? Yeah. yeah it, our... uh, I'm even bothered, you know, a little bit by vegetarians. I used to be a vegetarian myself, and it took me 20 years to realize the mistake I was making. But uh, and, and there are people here in town that run animal rescue groups that are not even vegetarian. That that does bother me a little bit, but times are changing. We can only hope that, you know, by spreading the message, eventually everybody will overcome their uh, ingrained food habits. Yeah, and I think it's really important that we celebrate one another's progress and everything that we're all doing. So I'm glad that people are rescuing wildlife even if they haven't awakened yet to the food aspects. And it's hard because it's natural, I think, for humans to kind of be judgmental. And especially if we've discovered something that seems so good and so right, you know, we want to like, uh, hum, uh, come on over here, see what I see. But yeah. I think one of the best things we can do as vegans sometimes is just to celebrate what these other people are doing. You know, wahoo, you're doing great. And then, yeah. you know, I think people want to be vegan more when they like vegans <laughs> than when they don't. Yeah, probably so. There's a lot of stereotypes about angry, uh, intrusive vegans, but uh, I really think that the, you know, shaming people into veganism is not a good way to go about it. Yeah, uh, I, I agree I with you. To, I, I prefer to, to share food, uh, either by organizing, uh, dinner events, or by giving cooking classes. Uh, That's the way I do outreach. And and you do it so, so well. I I love seeing, I know you post online about doing the cooking classes and that. So since you went through Main Street Vegan Academy a couple of weeks, a couple of of years ago, uh, how have things changed for you? You were so active already. Have you... (laughs) <laughs> ratcheted it up to even another level? Yeah, well, what happened was uh, I, I was doing cooking classes real sporadically, like uh, once a year or so. And then after uh, Main Street Vegan Academy, I decided my main method of outreach would be cooking classes. So I've been doing them on a monthly basis. So that's that's what I'm doing as a as a, a vegan lifestyle coach, is leading people to uh, become vegan cooks. 
That's so great because that's where we lose a lot of people. If they don't know what to eat or what to do with the food, it's like, yeah, this is a good idea. Somebody else can do it. So good for you. So just in our last couple of minutes for everybody listening, what can we do to help wildlife? To help wildlife? Well, vote. um, And also, uh, if, if you're, you know, if you're vegan already, great, you're helping wildlife. Help other people go vegan, and it'll lessen the impact on wild animals. Also, there's, you know, a, a frequent uh, vegan touring wildlife events, and to show people that, uh, you know, whale watching uh, brings in income to the uh, community more so than uh, whale hunting. And the same goes for all kinds of other wild animals. Uh, become, you know, a bird watcher rather than a bird shooter. Uh, to help, you know, people realize the academic uh, economic impact we can have uh, is is one way of doing it. So, oh, the economic impact of of this ecotourism, where we're yeah. we're friendly to the animals that are there. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I was cool. trying to say. Thanks for. Summing it up real quick. <laughs> no, well, it's fascinating. You know, I travel so much in my work that I never think about any kind of tourism, eco or not. <laughs> but when you talk about, oh, my goodness, to get to see a whale, you know, that would just yeah. be the most extraordinary experience. So thank you for planting the seed. Sure. I've, I've, seen, <laughs> bison. I've seen bison frolicking in the snow and a wolf crossed my path at Yellowstone. It's an unforgettable experience. Yeah, it it really is. I saw a moose in Vermont, (laughs) and we'll always remember that. And and my co-mother-in-law, I guess it's my daughter's mother-in-law, was telling me that it was just a baby moose. Wait till you see one (laughs) with all the antlers. (laughs) Greg, thank you for your 31 years of, of service in the parks, and thank you for your ongoing, continuing, wonderful support to the vegan cause with your radio show, Animal Concerns of Texas with those uh, cooking classes every month. How do we find the uh, Veg Society of El Paso? Is that how it is online? Yes, bsep.org, uh, or just Google Veg Society El Paso, and it'll get you there. Don't we love just Googling? Thank you so much, Greg Lawson. Everybody stay with us. We will be back with the really powerful healing story from Goldner, MD. Stay with us. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone.
Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Give someone you love the gift of inspiration with a subscription to Unity Magazine. Each issue has interesting articles and compelling interviews from some of today's most prominent spiritual thought leaders. Explore new ideas in health, science, spirituality, and a lot more. Send gifts to your family and friends and save $7 off the subscription rate. Get a one-year subscription for just $14.95. This offer ends on December 31st, so go to unity.org to find out more. More and more people are interested in a vegan lifestyle, and the numbers continue to grow. Join Victoria Moran every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central for Main Street Vegan and learn how to make the shift to help animals and the planet. Each week, Victoria shares recipes, health tips, and interviews with celebrity vegans, experts, and activists. Learn how to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Right here on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Thanks for staying with us through the messages, and I do invite you to join the Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners group on Facebook, where you can have some say in what we do here. So this live weekly radio show and subsequent podcast can be ever more precisely what serves your needs. So moving right along with our next guest, also from Texas, do you sense a trend I am so excited to be introducing Brooke Goldner, MD. I am about two-thirds of the way through her wonderful book, Goodbye Lupus, and she's going to tell you her 
incredibly riveting healing story. Dr. Goldner is a board-certified medical doctor. In addition to Goodbye Lupus, she has also authored Green Smoothie Recipes to Kickstart Your Health and Healing. She's been featured in documentaries including Eating You Alive, Whitewashed, and The uh, Conspiracy against your health. She's been featured on TV news and the home and family show, as well as many radio shows and podcasts. And she is a highly sought after keynote speaker. Welcome, Dr. Brooke Goldner. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful to have you. Thank you for taking the time. I know whenever I have a physician on who's in practice, I know there's a lot going on, and, and it's it's a great honor to have you come on the show. So your story is one of the most compelling I have ever read. You were diagnosed with very severe lupus at a very young age. Can you tell us about that and what happened? And while I was 16 years old, I started experiencing arthritis and rashes across my face and severe migraines where I would just be vomiting for days. And when my family finally took me to the doctor, uh, we discovered that not only did I have all these other symptoms that were painful, but I also was in kidney failure and it was because of lupus. So lupus is an autoimmune disease where your immune system starts attacking your own body and destroying your own organs and it can be very aggressive. And so at the time I was diagnosed, uh, my doctor gave me six months before complete kidney failure. And they said that if I didn't do aggressive and at the time experimental treatments, that I would be lucky to be alive in six months. And if I was, I'd be on dialysis. So it was quite shocking. You know, I, I'd never really had any illnesses before. And I had thought that my, what I was going through was not a big deal. You know, <laughs> it wasn't in my mindset that that was going to be what the doctor said. Uh, but, you know, my family was, I come from family immigrants. My, my mom and her family came from Poland after World War II. They were uh, Holocaust survivors. And um, so I was raised to trust doctors and do whatever they say. And that's what I did. I took seven pills a day, high-dose steroids. I did chemotherapy to shut off my immune system. And I did chemotherapy for two years straight. And it was really, really difficult. Um, but... I survived it and it did work. It took two years of chemotherapy before my kidney failure was able to resolve before they could shut my immune system off and make it stay off. And I actually had my last chemotherapy session a week before I started college. Uh, so it was, you know, I, I really, I thank my mom so much for getting me through all that. I have an amazing family and between my grandparents who taught me that every day you wake up is a good day, having survived the Holocaust themselves, and my mom who kept me focused on my life being about my passion and what I wanted to give to this world rather than on my symptoms or my medicines, I was able to get through that and, and be able to go to college. I actually was able to stay in the top 10 of my class, got a scholarship to Carnegie Mellon uh, to pursue science, and I wanted to well, I wanted to help other people deal with chronic illness. That's why I decided to be a doctor. I figured if I could find a way to survive chronic illness and still stay focused on my purpose and not get depressed, maybe I could help other people do that with whatever time I had. So you went to college, then you went to medical school. Did your lupus stay gone? No. Actually, uh, I was able to maintain a remission when I was in college because in college, you know, there's freedom to control your schedule, to control your sleep. And, you know, I, when I decided to go to 
medical school. My doctors were opposed to it. They told me, you're supposed to get enough sleep and avoid stress. Medical school, what are you thinking? <laughs> I said, I'm thinking that nobody knows how long they have to live, and I might as well do what makes my heart happy, you know? So I'm not going to stay home. So I went to medical school, and I did get sick. At the time, they didn't have protections around the hours that you work as a medical student. Nowadays, they do. You can work more than 80 hours a week as a medical student or, or a resident physician. But there were times when I calculated I was working 100-hour weeks, and I started getting sick. Not my traditional symptoms, but I started getting blurry vision. Uh, not, not so much blurry, but uh, double vision, where the whole world would split in half, and I would get confused. And uh, it, I had a severe episode where I actually fell unconscious in one of the clinics, and it turned out that the lupus had now caused new antibodies called antiphospholipid antibodies that were causing blood clots to go into my brain and I had some mini strokes. So thankfully, there was no permanent damage, but at that point in my mid-20s, I was put off blood thinners, and I was told for the rest of my life, I'd have to take them because if I went off of them, I would have a major stroke or pulmonary embolism. I was told I could never have children because it would kill me, uh, or I would have miscarriages because of blood clots. And uh, it was very evident that the disease was becoming more aggressive and that I probably would be handicapped by my 40s and not really live much longer after that. So when did the uh, whole foods plant-based diet enter in? Well, you know, I would love, I would love to be able to say that I figured out that I could heal by changing my diet. That would make me sound so brilliant. But no, I tripped and stumbled into my healing, kind of the way I've done my whole life. I've, I'm a very heart-centered person, and I do what feels right, and I, I believe that what my heart brings me to is right. And what happened was I fell in love, and I fell in love with the most amazing human being I've yet to meet on this planet, Thomas Tadlock. We just celebrated our 13-year anniversary and on Monday, and uh, we fell in love, and within a month, he was talking about getting married, and I had to sit this man down and tell him, you know, I know we're 28 years old, but you don't understand what you're asking me. You know, I'm not going to live a long life. I can't have your children. I'm going to become disabled, and you're going to... I understand if this isn't what you want to sign up for. And he said, you know, I'd rather live a short life with you than a lifetime with anybody else. I want to do that. So he is amazing. And he treats me every day. I feel so loved and cherished always. And what happened was he at the time, he's a celebrity trainer and he's actually a best-selling author himself, uh, Miracle Metabolism, all about how to get the best body on a vegan diet, you know, fitness wise. So he put me on a diet. He actually wasn't plant-based or vegan at the time. But he was really good at using nutrition to speed up people's metabolism so they could lose fat, uh, fat rapidly. And, and they, he was working with MTV, for example, getting people on there with six packs in three weeks. So I wanted him to put me on a plan. I wanted to look like that so I could look amazing at my wedding. So it was pure vanity uh, that I changed my diet. I had actually been a lifelong vegetarian. I'd been vegetarian for 20 years because I loved animals. But I was really a cheese and egg-itarian. I ate lots of dairy. I ate processed foods. I ate eggs every day. And he told me, you know, if you're going to lose fat, you have to stop eating all the saturated fat. We have to get rid of dairy. You know, you can't be eating all these eggs. So, uh, but I refused to eat meat. So with the compromises we had to make, I accidentally became 100% plant-based, but a very specific kind. It was very high in raw vegetables, especially leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables, very high in omega-3s, very high in water. And then I ate tofu. Uh, because he, he wanted me to eat something. He thought I needed protein for muscles back then. Now we know that's not the case. 
And what happened was within a couple of weeks, I felt the best I'd ever felt. And I was working 30 hour shifts at the hospital and I still had energy to go to the gym afterwards, which is not normal for a person without lupus, <laughs> but I felt really, really uh-huh. good. I had no more headaches. I had no arthritis. And uh, by the end, by three months later, when I went to get my blood tests, they were all negative for lupus. And I'd been sick for 12 years of my life at this point. So it was very clear that I had had chronic disease. I'd had lupus for 12 years and suddenly my labs were negative. And I can tell you now it's been 13 years since that day and my labs have stayed negative. I've had two children and uh, I've been able to reverse lupus in thousands of other people as well as other autoimmune diseases all over the world by teaching them how to do what we did. Wow. Oh, that is such a triumphant story. Oh my gosh. And in your fabulous book, which listeners, I know you write to me and say, stop telling me how good books are because I keep buying them. Well, I'm sorry, but here's another one for you. Goodbye Lupus is a page turner, both this incredible woman's incredible story and her common sense, good sense for how we can all boost our immunity and someone dealing with an actual pathology may be able to positively impact those as well. So you mentioned a couple of your six points um, when you were speaking a moment ago. So let's start with those. So I'm not going to do your six points in order. Let's start with number four, which is hyper nourish with raw plant foods. Why do we need those and how do we get them? Yeah, what I've realized over time, you know, I've been working with people for almost a decade now, helping them reverse their diseases. And what I've come to realize is what's making people sick is what they're missing, even more so than what they're eating. That if you are well nourished, your body will have the tools to fight disease, even if you eat some things that hurt you. But what happens is a lot of people eat foods that actually injure their bodies and cause inflammation and disease, and then they don't eat anything that their body would use to reverse that. So when you're looking at reversing an illness, you need to be aggressive, right? So a lot of times people will tell me, wow, this diet seems extreme. And I say, illness is extreme. You can't cure an extreme illness with moderation. You've got to be extreme. And so one of the things that I do is called hypernourishment, which means I oversupply the nutrients that your body uses for cellular repair and for optimizing your immune system. And so when you're talking about my six steps, I have in my book of Lupus, it's the six steps to healing with supermarket foods. I like to be very clear and I like things to be simple. Like I said, I come from a family of immigrants. I think that we need to be clear in how we communicate to each other, right? And so I always say, I say it so simply, even doctors can understand it. So the first three steps are the foods to avoid. The second three steps, four, five, and six, are the foods you need to nourish yourself so you can heal. So a lot of times I have, I have so many clients now that are sick vegans, especially I have a lot of celebrity vegan clients who they've been vegan for 20 years and suddenly they have disease and they don't know what's happened. And it's because they were missing the nutrients. So uh, the nutrients you need in order to optimize your cellular function, and not only for disease, by the way, but to also reverse aging, right? So people like that. You want to have glowing skin. You want to feel tons of energy. What you need is to have at least 75% of your diet come from healing foods like raw leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables, omega-3 fatty acids. You want to eat flax seeds and chia seeds. Make sure you grind them up and you can add them uh, to your diet that way. Grind them up as you eat them. Don't buy pre-ground. They're already oxidized. And getting hydrated enough. Uh, Every chemical reaction that takes place in your body for healing actually requires water. So if you're not drinking enough water, you literally can't heal, even if you're eating well. And so those three factors are what I find holds people back from actually getting full recovery from their illness. 
So those three things that we need to add, you said raw plant foods, omega-3s every day, and uh, the way you worded in the book is water, 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 which water, I presume water, can, comes water, partially yes, from those whole plant foods as, as well yeah, as drinking water. So with the yeah, omega-3s, vegetables. do you recommend a, a fully formed a DHA EPA as well, or do you think we're okay just with the flax and the chia? I've been able to help people reverse their illnesses just using flax and chia. You know, in my in my book, I show this in detail, and I also teach free classes on this online every couple months. If you go to my website, I, I announce them whenever I do them, where I show this pathway because a lot of people don't understand that you can produce DHA and EPA on your own, but that pathway requires an enzyme that will take the flax and chia and convert it into active EPA and DHA. And that enzyme is also used in the inflammatory pathway where you break down omega-6 fatty acids. And if you are eating a lot of omega-6 because you're eating oils or eggs or animal products, any kind of animal products, processed foods, then you're going to hijack that enzyme and you won't efficiently convert the uh, the flax and chia seeds into EPA and DHA. So that is why a lot of the studies will say, oh, you don't efficiently convert it. It's because people are eating inflammatory foods that are hijacking the enzyme. What I found when I do my rapid recovery programs with people is that all we need to use is high dose flax and chia seeds and they get full reversal of their illnesses. So it's working. Wow. I don't think it harms to take an, an EPA DHA. But you have to be careful because even the vegan ones, they're usually dissolved in sunflower oil, which is an omega-6 fatty acid. So you're basically negating or the, uh, the EPA and DHA that you're getting by taking a big dose of omega-6 with your omega-3. So you have to be careful about the ingredients. Oh, that is really interesting to know and not anything I've ever looked for on a label. So thank you for that. So the three foods to avoid, you mentioned those, one, animal products, two, oils, three, processed foods. Would you talk about each one of those, particularly in terms of inflammation? I mean, we always, we have cardiologists on the show and everybody's talking about how this way of eating can reverse heart disease. But you're unique in that you're talking about autoimmune issues. So uh, animal products, oils, and processed foods, how do they affect those conditions? Well, what I focus on is how they generate inflammation in the body. So you're supposed to have an immune system that could create inflammation when you need to because that's how you deal with getting sick. If you get bacteria or if you have an injury, you need inflammation to go to heal you. The problem is when you've got inflammation coming in from your food, you develop chronic inflammation. That triggers your genes for disease, not only autoimmune disease, but also heart disease and cancers and other illnesses that are killing people every day. So when you can manipulate your inflammatory pathways, you can, I call it hack, you can hack your immune system and you can create amazing health for yourself. So animal products, uh, when you're looking at meat, dairy, eggs, also processed foods, which tend to have a lot of sugars in them, as well as oils, and then oils themselves, they're all rich sources of arachidonic acid. So arachidonic acid is the precursor to your inflammatory immune system. And while we do need some arachidonic acid to be able to serve, as I said, for normal inflammatory needs, the problem is most people's diets consist of animal products, processed foods, and oils. That's all they eat, right? Did you have a burger with cheese and a milkshake and some fries, you know, or some chips? And so that's all they're eating are things that drive their inflammatory pathway. And what do we see? An explosion of inflammatory illnesses, cancers, heart disease, 
strokes, and autoimmune disease. I mean, I have clients as young as six years old now with lupus because their diets are so horrific. And so they're just driving the inflammatory pathway, creating omega-6 fatty acids, creating all of the inflammatory immune system. And then in order to fight that, you need an anti-inflammatory immune system, which can only be made from omega-3 fatty acids. And most people don't eat any of them at all. So the flax and the chia, algae, anything like that, most people don't even have that in their diet at all. And it makes sense why in our society, people get sicker and sicker because they don't have the ability to repair themselves and they don't have the ability to eliminate the inflammation. But the way I teach it, it's actually very easy to do. I mean, you could take the healing foods, the green, leafy greens, omega-3s, the flax and chia, and water, and put that into a blender and make a green smoothie. And with a straw, you can reverse your illness. It's the most ele elegant and easy thing that you can do. Well, let's talk about smoothies then, Dr. Goldner, because I do hear a lot of experts who aren't happy with smoothies. To me, as I was telling you at the break, I think if nothing else, the smoothie is the most elegant package for putting all this great stuff in, like ground flax. Why do some people not like them, and why are you a fan? The only reason someone says that they don't like green smoothies is because they actually haven't tested them. Hands down, that is always the answer. I am friends with a lot of other uh, leaders in the plant-based community, and I have converted them all to smoothies. Oh, good. <laughs> Every one of them that has spoken out against it are now making them. And, uh, and because I hang out with them, I'm speaking at the same conferences, and I ask them, so I heard you say that you don't think smoothies are good. Why? Have you tested them? Well, no, I was just thinking that it's probably good to chew food because we have saliva. I said, so you were thinking and you made a statement? people to listen to. I said, we got to be careful about what people trust us. We have to say what we know. For me, I only teach what I've personally tested and seen work in every person that I work with. I don't, I trust, I have too much respect for people to spout theories. I don't think it's respectful. And maybe because I was a patient before I was a doctor, I'm very careful about what I teach and it has to be the information that works. And what the truth is, is that when we give people these green smoothies and my husband and I, we have a free website, smoothieshred.com. You can go to it and see free recipes for healing smoothies. When we teach people how to add this to their lives, their diseases disappear. That's all I need to know. So obviously, saliva is not a big deal. Right? Because the problem is most people are severely deficient in leafy greens. They're severely severely dehydrated. If I put all that into the blender and hand it to you, we add a little bit of fruit for flavor, not much, 25% or less just for flavor. I call it the spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down. We put that in the blender and you stick a straw in it. And literally you have now fed yourselves everything they need to repair themselves and fight disease and keep you healthy. And you don't have to do anything, but just sip on your container out of your straw. It's it's miraculous and it works. Can people eat it instead? If you prefer to use a fork and eat big salads or you want to take some broccoli and dip it some guacamole and eat it that way, enjoy it. It'll work just as well. But for most folks who've never sat down and eaten a salad, who hate vegetables, or love the smoothies and they drink them and they heal. And that's why I love them so much. It works. Mm, wow, that's great. And I love it that it's so easy to do one in the morning. And then if it happens that you're out somewhere in the day and you're at some restaurant where things aren't perfect and you're tired at night and you don't really make what you'd hope to make, you at least know you've done something for yourself before that day even got started. So uh, I need to get hold of your book, Green Smoothie Recipes to Kickstart Your Health and Healing. <laughs> 
because uh, you can't have yeah, too many green smoothie I'm recipes. One right now. Now, these, you mentioned uh, earlier so that there energy. are certain nutrients that we need to reduce aging. Again, there are some people in the movement who say, come on, don't, don't promise people too much in that area. What have you seen? Well, you got to look at it this way. So first of all, it's been proven, right? You look at Dean Ordinance's work. When you get a plant-based diet, it actually increases the length of the telomeres, which is the part of your DNA that when it gets shorter, that's what causes you to age and die. So we, the only thing that's ever lengthened a telomere is a plant-based diet, and that's been shown by research. The other thing to look at, if you're talking about phys physical aging and, and then also when you look at you, invisible aging, right? So we know that dehydration causes more rapid aging of your organs. So you want healthy organs, be hydrated. Water, 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 right? But also, your skin is one of your organs. And it's also the last organ in your body to receive nutrition and hydration. So if you've got fine lines, early aging, dry skin, spots, that means that you are not fully nourished and hydrated. So what happens is with my clients, they come to me because they've got chronic illness, they've got kidney failure, they've got arthritis, and they start drinking these smoothies every day, and they start to glow. And I mean, if you look at the videos, if you go to goodbyelupus.com and you look at the videos people submit, every single person looks like they had plastic surgery after six weeks because their skin is glowing. I mean, people come up to me all the time. I'm in my 40s and people think I'm at least a decade younger, if not more so. And it's, and it's not that I didn't age. I was aging like everybody else. And then I changed my diet to this high raw diet with my smoothies. And it's like I went back in time. When I see people have that glow to their skin. I know they're nourished. And if they look dry and wrinkly, I know they're not. So it, it's not an empty promise. You will increase and improve the health of your skin when you nourish your body correctly. Yeah, it's oh, that's so cool. And it's we can, and we can see you because you've been on the uh, front cover of Vegan Health and Fitness Magazine three times, including yeah. the current cover of their special edition, Fit Over 40. So um, we can look at you and online oh, as thank well, you. of course. So how do you communicate this to people? But, they come to you as a physician and I think we still kind of have the idea, yeah, go to the doctor, get the magic pill. What do you do to make people embrace a whole new way of living? I used to have to work harder at it. Now people find me because they're ready to embrace it. You know, but um, the biggest thing that I've ever done to help people embrace what they can do for their lives is to share my story. Originally, I was trying to get people to do, to make changes to their diet by being, well, listen, I'm wearing a white coat. I'm a smart doctor. You're supposed to listen. Does not work. <laughs> right? But I started to realize that what heals people are relationships. It's knowing people. It's understanding who they are. And I started to share my story. And I found that was more powerful inspiring other people to take a chance and take back their health because they know I'm a real human being. I've been there. I know what it's like to be sick, to be barely alive, and I know what it's like to turn that around and get a second chance at life where I'm really, truly healthy. And so I share that every chance I get. Oh, that's so exciting. And you do share this for free in online classes. Tell us about those and how we can join in. Yes, you know, I can't sleep at night thinking that anybody might be sick or suffering or die because they just didn't know what to do, and especially with all the bad information out there. And so on a regular basis, I hold these classes where I teach the six steps to healing with supermarket foods, and then I stay on the line and do Q&As with people. And the Q&As are usually longer than the class. So um, I just 
finished a round of classes last week. So it'll probably, the next round will probably be in a couple months. But if you go to goodbyelupus.com or you follow me at goodbyelupus on Instagram or on Facebook, I always announce when I'm doing free classes. And that's just, it's my way of giving back because I know not everybody out there uh, can have me as their physician or hire me to do their nutrition. Uh, and I want the, I think that the information should be right. I think everybody should have access to the information they need to have a healthy life. That's wonderful. You also said on, on the form that all the guests fill out your last line with a, with a little smiley face is, I am always excited. Is that a healing attitude? <laughs> yeah, well, it said that you wanted me to say what I wanted to talk about because you wanted me to be enthusiastic and excited. And I said, I'm uh, so excited. That's the one thing that I always get from people. But yes, I'm passionate about life. And I always have been, even when I was sick. And that's what everybody needs to know is your, your illness doesn't define you. Your passion does. So don't let anyone ever take that from you. Don't let illness take it from it. Do what your heart wants to do. And that's going to help you through whatever the hardest times of your life are. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Brooke Goldner. The book is Goodbye Lupus, goodbyelupus.com. And we'll put all of those URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Thanks to both of our guests and to Unity Online Radio for hosting this program for low these six years. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.